Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We are doing something different today. We are not in the book of Matthew. Uh, we are starting something new. It will not take four years. It will not take four years. Not saying that Matthew took four years, but it did. Um, so, First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, as we begin a new study uh, in the book of First Thessalonians, I want to remind you and maybe encourage you, maybe teach you um, that this is the Bible. This is the Bible. And uh, the reason that I usually go through books of the Bible is that that's the way the Bible's written. Um, it's written in books. And uh, the particular book that I'm looking at today, um, so God inspires His Word. He, he uh, it says, breathed it out through human authors. And the author we're going to look at today is Paul. But he wrote this, God-breathed, inspired word, to a particular church that was in a particular town. Um, and as we read this this morning, as we begin our study, uh, God speaks to us. God is the one. He's revealing Himself. He's revealing about us. He's teaching us about what life is all about. He's reminding us of the truth uh, that we should be uh, living our lives by. And so that's why we go through the journey of a book. Uh, we went through the book of Matthew, and now we're going through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians and probably 2 Thessalonians too. We'll probably just um, take a quick breather and then keep going. Uh, the Word of God has a human writer, a human writer, but uh, the message isn't about a human. It's not about, uh, about Paul or anybody else. It's about God speaking uh, to His people and for us here today. And uh, we find ourselves to be needy. We find ourselves to be needing of instruction. I think sometimes uh, we get to spots in our life and we, in our pride, think we've learned enough. And yet, uh, as we go through the Word of God over and over again, we find ourselves to be needy and wanting and uh, needing of correction, needing of, to be brought uh, back to the center of the path. And so here we are. I want you to stand, if you would, and I'd like to read to you the first chapter from the book of 1 Thessalonians. God's Word says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, uh, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only 
has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning the kind reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God, we ask your blessing on your word. As we begin this study, we ask that you would change our hearts, um, not just in thoughts, but that you would transform us, uh, that you would change us from the person that we were lost in our sin to the person you've desired and saved us for. Uh, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, your spirit that teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning, we'll just take uh, the first three verses and we'll take a look at where this study is going, uh, who wrote it, and uh, to the people that got the letter. It's kind of one of those things that we look at the scripture and we'll look at this more as we go through the study. You kind of reverse engineer it. If someone talks to you about a specific topic, you can know that that was probably prompted by something. Somebody asks you a question about how to ride a bike. Uh, even if you don't hear them say how to ride a bike, uh, if they describe riding a bike, you realize that that is the connection to the question or the, the need that uh, the recipients or the, came from the question. As we look at God's Word, we start out and it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... And this is, this is not the way we write letters here, right? If, if you would write a letter, um, you would do what? To so-and-so, to so-and-so. And at the end of the letter, you'd say some kind of greeting and then write your name. Uh, if you can imagine a scroll, if you can imagine a scroll, uh, and it's round up and you pull it out like this, what would be the, 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 first, the first line would be right there? But you wouldn't have the bottom, right? And so some have suggested that that was the reason that they started with uh, both the writers and the recipients so they, they could know who it came from. The three uh, writers that we have are Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And Paul, uh, as you look at this, you realize that throughout the New Testament, Paul is a huge writer of what we know uh, as the New Testament what we've read before. In fact, uh, as I learned this, as I was growing up in the church, it's the Eons, right? If you look at all the in the New Testament, the Eons, those are Paul's writings. Okay, I know it's very not not very theological, but I'll help you uh, get the Eons, right? Assuming you're going, what's an Eon? It's the last few letters of each of the the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, and the Galatians, all the Eons, okay, they're all together. And these are, uh, this, this is Paul's writing to them, Paul's writing to them. And, and in this passage, we remember when it talks about Paul, you can go to the book of Acts and you realize that Paul had these missionary journeys that he went on. Some, some would say um, Paul was a great evangelist, and, and that can be true, but it's probably better to think of Paul as a great church planter, 
a great church planner. And, and he had these missionary journeys. And the second one where he visited the city of Thessalonica and he established a church there. And how do you establish a church? It's real simple. Uh, people get saved. People get saved and they begin meeting together and sharing life together. And leaders are trained up and the church identifies themselves with one another and they begin to be a, a lighthouse in that particular city or part of a city or town. That's church planning, okay? And that's what happens. That's what God is doing. And Paul was a part of that process. We know from the book of Acts that on this second missionary journey, the one that uh, probably the establishing of this church in Thessalonica, that, that all that came from, from Paul, uh, Silvanus was with him, really. Uh, Silvanus is, uh, if you look to the, the book of Acts, you'll see Silas as well. That's the same guy. It's kind of the idea of Timothy or Timmy. You know, it's, that, it's a, a shortened name. It's, it's the idea of his official name and his, uh, what people called him. And in this passage, it says Paul and Silvanus. Um, they were kind of uh, uh, a church planning team as they went around and they spent time. And, and as we look to this particular city, Paul and Silvanus worked hard in the establishing and they would have known. So as they heard Paul's name and Silvanus's name, they would have said, oh yeah, this is an important letter. Uh, this is part of uh, where we come from. Uh, as uh, we understood the gospel, these are the two that brought um, this to us. And then also it says Timothy. And we have recorded also in the book of Acts that at a later time, Timothy uh, was sent to Thessalonica to encourage the church and to, stab, uh, to help them a little bit more, to become more established. And so you, you have Paul and Timothy who are probably about the same age and then, or uh, I'm sorry, Paul and Silvanus were probably about the same age. And then Timothy, being younger, uh, I want to say this this way to just get your picture. He was the youth pastor, okay? Okay? He was sent over there. He, get, he got a good job. It wasn't just, you know, clean out the green van or anything like that. Go encourage the church, okay? And so if you can picture these two older men and then this one younger man, and these were the three that were identified uh, as authors or the message coming from. As we read this, we're pretty convinced that this was written by Paul because it looks a lot like it. But the idea is that the message was one that came from these three, that God used these three. When um, It's kind of interesting that uh, if it comes from one, sometimes we have people that are idols to us. Uh, that we like them maybe more than they like us. But um, we, we have people that are really special in our life and we get really excited about them. And so um, maybe it's uh, uh, someone who's older who was a coach of yours or a teacher of yours or maybe an older uncle or an aunt or someone who thought you thought was really special, maybe even a teacher. And so we think they're the greatest and so there would be some of that when they heard Paul's name, but not just Paul. Uh, they would have thought of Silas or Silvanus as that as well, but also Timothy, knowing that he had come. But as they saw this, these three names, it would have been, uh, these are the ones, we trust these ones. 
These are the ones who share the gospel. But also, when there's uh, more than one, there's a sense of uh, it's not just one man's message. And it's interesting, over and over again in the New Testament, as you see the establishing of the church, you see this idea of plurality. Uh, we see it in elders. We see it um, in these different missionary journeys. We see it with Peter and Paul, uh, them teaching uh, the same message in different ways and, and even dividing up and, and at times even uh, struggling with one another. But the message was not Peter's message. It wasn't Paul's message. It wasn't Sylvanus's message, and it definitely wasn't t- the youth pastor's method- message, okay? It wasn't Timothy. It was all a, a message that came from a lot of different people, but it was a message of God. When they heard these three names, they knew that they knew and loved them, but also that they knew and loved them as well. They had shared with them. Paul uh, writes his new name, if you want to remember this. Uh, Paul used to be Saul, right? He used to be the killer of the church. Killer of the church. And now he's the planter of the church. Now he's not just the planter of the church, but he's the ongoing support, and, and his heart is with the growth of the church. And what a, what a picture. If you can see Paul's whole life, you, you realize that he was brought up almost as a killer of the church. And then God saved him, changed him. So much so that he would now, if you look to the New Testament, it can be argued that he was the greatest tool that God used for the spread of the gospel and the establishing of churches. The killer of the church now becomes a founder, a, a planter of the same church he tried once to kill. Amazing thing, amazing picture as we look uh, at Paul's writing as we begin this study today. Um, We look at Paul and these two other associates as they uh, bring a message, start a a message, a a love letter. And I want to tell you, uh, even before I get going any more, this is one of the most affectionate letters in the whole New Testament. Beautiful. It's about... uh, the breaking of a heart to share the gospel. It's the idea of an ongoing relationship. It's not just that, hey, I went to your town. I held a few meetings. Uh, some of you came forward. Some of you raised your hand. Some of you accepted the gospel. And then I go, sweet, I get, I get to go out of here and go to a better town where there's better food or whatever. Um, this was not what Paul was talking about. And, and as we go through this, I want you to hear the affection, uh, the, the heart that is poured out for Paul for the people and, and them in return, too. It's really a picture of what the church is meant to be in the gospel. As the gospel changes a life, as someone who's been changed gets to share the gospel and someone responds to that same message, it's how it, God unites their hearts and love for one another. Um, and even as I say that, I know that God has done that here. That I've watched you uh, love one another. You have loved me and I, I've loved you. And this is what God does in the gift of His Son um, as He works in people. So that's who this is from. This is from Paul. 
and his two associates, Silvanus and Timothy. Uh, this letter uh, is going to a church in a town. The, uh, if you look down, it says to the church of the Thessalonians. The church of Thess- it's in the town of Thessalonica. It's in modern-day Greece. It's a, a port city. It's, it's kind of a, a gateway from one side to the other, and people would have gone through there. And, and this is true of many of the cities that God did a work in, that He set up churches on highways, or He set them up on places where people would go. And, and as people got the gospel within that town, uh, they would, as they moved and went, they would go to other places and the gospel would continue to spread. I realize that it might be a bit of a stretch to say that Tehachapi is a gateway to anything, to anything. You know, sometimes we call ourselves the end of the cul-de-sac, right? Because you're like, oh, there's nothing. I, I got to turn around and go the other way if I'm going to get someplace. It's interesting to note for me, for me as a pastor, people are always coming and going at Bear Valley Church. Always coming and going. And, and I'm not just saying uh, they get tired of my preaching and they go someplace else. That's true too. But it's interesting how people have come here and they say, we're going to be here forever. Three or four years later, they move to a different place. And, or they say, you know, uh, you know, I, I got this job, and this job's totally secure, and sometimes the job isn't so secure. And I don't, I don't mean to say that to freak any of you out. Some of you have been here a very long time, uh, and some of you are involved in prison work, which is a booming business. I think a job security, there's going to be criminals for a long, long time. Uh, pastors and you know, people who are associated with the prison always are going to have a job. Uh, but uh, I want to tell you that this is how God does His work. He works in hearts and lives of people, and then He causes them to go and affect others. Uh, this, this is what He does, and we've seen this, and we even think this way at Bear Valley Church. We say, uh, we don't assume that you're going to be with us for 20 years. We want to be a blessing to you today that that would be something that you could teach and carry on. So we look at uh, the town of Thessalonica, Port City, um, and really, if you can think of all these letters that Paul had written uh, at the beginning, and even Peter's letters as well, it, it's a letter to a, a city, but not to a city, but to the church in the city. You realize uh, that in a city, the church is doing something different than is going on in the city. Uh, it is very interesting to me. Uh, as I have traveled, not uh, extensively or anything, but th- there's usually a group of believers in every city. And most cities, especially if they're larger, have many groups. And you, as a believer, can go find other believers in that town, and your picture of that town will be through that, those believers. Uh, this is a letter that is written to the believers Uh, that are gathering in Thessalonica. As we look at God's Word, uh, we realize that a church is something special. Something special. It's a called-out community. It's a called-out community. It's the idea that there were people 
that were lost in their sin, lost in their culture, lost in uh, the generations of life that they were walking in the same ways that their parents and their forefathers had walked in. They were just part of that. And what a church is, is calling them out to be God's people. Calling them out to be God's people. Uh, this is, uh, I won't take too long, but one of the things that you should always struggle with is who, wh- what is your identity? What is your identity? Uh, some of you would say, well, uh, my identity is my last name. My last name. I'm a Bosler. Or my identity is my occupation. I'm a pastor. It's my identity. Some of you would say, your identity is your looks. Uh, some of you would say, I'm a big bald guy. Some of you would say, well, uh, maybe it's a role you play. I'm a husband or a father. Some of you would say, well, uh, not too many of us anymore would say this, but I am a citizen of the great state of California. It's my identity. It's my identity. We struggle with that, some of us. I told you how pathetic it is. I've only lived in the great state of California. Uh, but uh, y- y- your identity, who are you? Who are you? And I want to tell you this, that as you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been called out of that to have a new primary identity. And what is it? A believer in Jesus Christ, part of his church, part of his church. He's called out assembly. And this should shape the way you live. This should bring new uh, allegiances. This should bring about new loyalty. This should bring about new priority. Because your new identity is to be part of the church. His church is called out assembly. As I say that, I kind of skipped ahead uh, in my mind in, in speaking of this. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians. In God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, here Paul identifies this church as being one that was formed and granted and bought and purchased by the plan of the Father worked out in the Son. Uh, sometimes when you, you get in our church, um, you know, the idea of founding fathers here at Bear Valley Church, uh, all, almost all of you are transplants. You know, there's one here that I, you know, it's kind of came early, right, bud? Uh, yeah. So, uh, but the idea of being a founding father here, you know, we're all transplants from other areas. But this isn't, this, what, what's going on here as a church is never attributed to a man or even a group of people. It's not that a church is born because some people got together and had a great idea that they saw a need and they went and filled a need. A church is born because it was part of the plan of God and it was worked out and bought and purchased by His Son, Jesus Christ. There's there's no other way a church... And if it's a church that's done the other way, it's not a church. Or maybe it's not His church. be the best way to say it. And so, at the beginning, Paul's establishing... Hey, we, the Lord's servants, His people, really friends, friends and family of you, 
are writing you this letter to this church that's in a particular place. You're called out people, but you're not just called out people. You, you've been, this has been brought about by the plan of the Father worked out in the Son. And then he says this, uh, which he says to, I think, all of his writings. He says, grace and peace, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace. He, he puts these two together, and, and that's a greeting. That's a greeting. Uh, there are many greetings, right? Hello. How's it going? Uh, you, you know, you, you all have greetings that you would bring if you see somebody. This was Paul's greeting. This is the one he used in his letters all the time. Grace and peace. He brings out two things. Grace. Uh, we've, we've sung of grace today. And what is grace? It's that unmerited favor that God gives to you. He grants to you. Without which, without which, you're not saved of your sins. Without which, you can't make it in this world. Without which, you are left in your own mess that you created for yourself. And, and you've done pretty good at messing up. You're lost in it. Paul, his greeting was to them. He says, grace to you, grace to you. And the reminder of both his salvation, their salvation, and their ongoing blessing that God gives them, grace to you. And then he says, and peace to you. Grace and peace. And peace uh, we, is connected greatly to the Old Testament, to the, to the Hebrews that they would always say, shalom. And, and it's the idea of, because of your relationship with God, you now have the peace or the blessing of this life because it comes from Him. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, how great it is that we know that we have His grace, we've been covered, and now He reminds them also of now you have peace because of what comes through Jesus Christ. Does it being a believer? Peace. Um, we sing again today uh, the idea of being still, being still, resting in Him alone. Uh, you can't do that. You cannot do that unless you know Jesus Christ. There's no rest. There's this idea of waking up in your sins every day. It's this idea that, oh, it's just going to get better. No, it probably won't. In fact, the idea of these days, they continue to get harder, don't they? Without knowing and being secure in Jesus. Paul reminds them, he greets them with grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. And now I just want to touch on these first couple of verses here, and then we'll be done for the day. Paul uh, writes to them with thankful praying, thankful praying. You look at verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. That, that, that first verse, verse 2 there, it, it's this idea of thankful, constant prayer. Thankful, constant prayer. It reminds me of the work that we do at church. What should uh, the pastors do when they get together? You don't know? <laughs> You're wondering what we should be doing, right? You're like, what do they do all day? What, what, when they gather together, you, you know, 
Uh, some of you are thinking of snide comments right now, and you should repent from them, okay? But um, I, I want to tell you, this is a philosophy of ministry. Paul shares his philosophy of ministry. It's not his. He didn't get it. He knows it because of what has happened in his own life. What does Paul say when they get together, when they consider the church, when they're from afar, what do they do? They pray. It's thankful, constant prayer. It's this idea of bringing uh, before the God of the universe, the people of the church. That is what we seek to do. You know, uh, I want to know when you're sick. I want to know when you're sick. You can email me or you can text me when you're sick. Hey, I'm going to the hospital. You don't have to give me details. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor of anything, okay? You don't have to give me details. I'm going to, the, going to the hospital. I'm going to the doctor. We're struggling, whatever. And we can pray for you. But that's not just all we can pray for you, right? There's bigger issues than your health. I mean that. We're struggling in our marriage. We're struggling with our kids, our adult kids, our little kids. We're struggling with our finances. We're struggling in our faith. We're struggling through how to, how to deal with this problem in our family. We're struggling. And, and the idea that we want to be involved in that, that, that's what the church is about. And even in a greater degree than Paul, because we are here on site. We're with you. We're, God's called us to participate. This is true for the elders as well. That we would be men of prayer. That, that this idea of church planting is an idea of praying for those who have trusted and, and acknowledging God's goodness in that. It's interesting, this idea of mentioning. It, it probably was one of those things where it's not that Paul had the list or the roster of everyone in the church at Thessalonica. But as he began to pray for one, he would mention others and bring up things that God would bring to his mind. And he would go through the people. And even as he would probably reflect on as they gathered, oh yeah, I remember this person there and this person. And this person was struggling with this. And they needed a new job. And they needed uh, God's provision. They were struggling with this family who had rejected them. And over and over again, he says, this is what I do. As we consider you, as we remember, we give thanks to God. Once again, why to God? Because he was the one that did the work. It wasn't about, uh, in, in this first chapter, as we look at, uh, Paul's not glorifying the church at Thessalonica. He's praising God for the work that he did in that city in gathering together his church. Thankful, constant prayer. And he prays three things. Uh, three things are kind of the mentioning of the things that stand out in his mind about them. He says in verse 3, he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith. Work of faith. Two things. Work. Faith. Because one has faith, because they have trusted in Jesus Christ, they have placed their trust in Him, they now are involved in work. Because once you have trusted in Christ, you're involved in the work. It's part of who you are now. When, uh, 
most of us don't like work. You know, we're products of the fall. Uh, we like rest. We like rest. We like recreation. But there are times in our day, there are times in our week where we say to one another, I got to go to work. I got to go to work. I got something to do. And I want to tell you that it's a believer in Jesus Christ who's trusted in, in him, who God has done a, a work in. We now have a work. And as Paul remembered them, he pictured them in their city, in their town, going about their work of faith. Because God had changed them, they were involved, not in their work, but in his work, their work of faith. He uses another word, and if you get these, uh, you'll see them all come together. The, the second thing he, he prays for, remembers, is their labor of love. Their labor of love. Now, when you think of labor, some of you think of having babies. And they call it labor for a reason, right, ladies? Uh, no big deal, right? No big deal. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Um, I'll stop there and I'll move on because if you say much more, you'll get in trouble. The idea of labor is the idea of strenuous work. It's the idea of, uh, of hard work. Hard work. But he combines labor with the idea of love, right? And when you connect labor of love, and maybe this is about having babies, right? Um, I've heard uh, women over and over again say, talk about their labor as being this awful thing. And at the end they say, but it was worth it but it was worth it. But it was worth it because of what happens afterwards, the, the blessing. And, and now what he's connecting it to is what the Thessalonica church is doing. Uh, they, are, they have a work of faith, and, and it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. It's hard work. But because of the love that they have received, the blessing of being his child, it now has changed their hearts so much that even the idea of labor is something they love. Why? Why? Because of the gift of the gospel. In this first chapter, you're going to see over and over again, and really a theme throughout, that it's worth it, that it's worth it. Even if it's hard, even if it's hard. You can go to work and you say, I don't like to work. But because of your faith, you will work. And, and guess what? Even the idea of when it gets super hard, and it, it, it's something that is not pleasant, guess what? Labor of love. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for me, the salvation that he's granted, the place that he has placed me in his church, the labor of love. And then the third thing, uh, similar, very similar, steadfastness of hope steadfastness of hope. The idea there, this word steadfastness, it's translated in different translations, different ways. But it's this idea of continuing on, continuing on, not giving up. Um, not giving up, or I'll say it a different way, not quitting, not quitting. Um, I know most of you, I know a lot of you, you're not quitters, you're not quitters. You push through, you push through, and you say, I can make it, I can make it, I'll do it, I'll keep going. But most of us are quitters, 
if the price gets too high, if it just hurts too much, if it affects our health, if it affects our family, if, if it affects our finances, we'll say, I've had it. I've had it. It's gone on too long. I, I give up. I, I, I've tried to keep going uh, for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year. I've tried to keep going, but I won't go on anymore because it's just not worth it. Paul and Silas, Timothy, uh, as they prayed, they remembered this church, this church, these people. Their work of faith, their labor of love, and also their steadfastness of hope. What, what keeps someone going, what, what keeps them not quitting, is that there's something out there that's making it worth it. There's something out there. Uh, you know, I hate to bring it up at a time like this. Most of the students are out of here, but this is a tough time of year. May, right? Just got a couple more tests, a couple more papers. Couple more, you know, and you're going. Oh, I, you, I, I can make it because the the summer's coming. I, I can make it because graduation is not far. I can make it. There's this idea of something that you're hoping in for the future, and if it's good or great enough, it'll keep you going, right? What about in the gospel? What about trusting in Jesus? What is the hope that we have? What is that thing out there, that, that date or that time or that place out there? What is it? Uh, we look at eternity, right? They looked at eternity. I want to tell you that uh, this was fuel for this church. This was the fuel for this church. That they knew what was coming and it kept them going. I want to give you three things to tie up our time, and then I'll give you just a brief, brief um, title uh, for our sermon series on the book of First Thessalonians. I already gave it to you, but I didn't tell you. The first thing is this: uh, to be a Christian, uh, changed by the gospel, is to be one who works, who labors, and is steadfast. If you're a Christian, if you've been changed by the gospel. You will work in the gospel. You'll even labor in the gospel. And you will continue doing it. This is what it is to be a Christian. It's what it is. Um, I want to I wanna stop here just briefly and say this. It's hard to be a Christian. It is hard to be a Christian. When you face difficult times as a Christian... Say, oh yeah, they told me it was going to be like this. Because I just told you it was going to be like this. It's, gonna, it's hard to be a Christian. I want to say this. It's harder not to be. And the damage is permanent, right? The damage is permanent. You, you look at what it is. To, if you don't want Jesus, go do whatever you want. Go do whatever you want. Whatever comes to your mind, go chase after it. But I want to tell you, that's going to ruin your life. It may feel good for an instant or for a day or for even a season, but guess what? In the end, the scars and the damage you'll pay for for the rest of your life and then eternity, and then eternity. But I want to tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, 
uh, it's hard as well. And he's called us to work. He's called us to work. He's called even for us to labor and to be steadfast in that. Second point is this. These three things, and they kind of all go together. These are connected to faith, love, and hope. The more you have those three things, the easier it will be for you to work, for you to be labor, in labor, and that you would be steadfast in that. Faith, love, and hope. You've heard that before. Paul brings these up over and over again in his faith, hope, and love usually, but now in this is faith, love, and hope. I want to tell you that as we dwell, those words faith, love, and hope, those are words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more we understand what Jesus has done for us and given to us and has been, he's changing us, the more we are changed by this, the greater we will be able to accomplish the work, the labor, the steadfastness. Think about that. I, I want to make a quick distinction here. Uh, it, it's not about you being strong. It's not about you going, oh, I'm going to redouble my efforts. I'm going to keep going. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to fight harder this week. Y yeah, I, you have to submit yourself to that. You have to give yourself. But I want to tell you, he wants to make you strong in, in your inner man. He wants to change you from the inside that it will come out on the outside. This is not about you being better. It's about you being changed by the gospel. You understand it uh, and dwelling upon the faith that he's given you, the love that he has blessed you with, and the hope that we long for. And lastly, I just want to say this. I hope you caught it. Um, it at the end of verse 3, what does it say? Uh, it says, work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In our Lord Jesus Christ. Without that, this is nothing. This is nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ, what He has done. I've said this before, but this is where we start. If you haven't trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't had your sins forgiven in Him, don't try to work and labor and all that other stuff. It's, this is where we start. Him changing us. So about this study uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's a study of fuel for the church. Fuel for the church. And what you're going to see in the weeks to come as you come back faithfully every week and when you miss, you're sick. You got a temperature of 115 or something like that. And you're you're streaming. You're you're, you're getting it on Monday or Tuesday, and you're you're listening to it. I just gotta stay. What you will find is this in the book of First Thessalonians that that Paul's giving them all the fuel they need as a church. That their tank will not be empty. It will be. They'll be ready to be changed and grow. And, and do the work that he's giving them the fuel for, for their days. And what is it? It's the gospel. It, it's that Jesus has saved you. And, and it's eternity. Eternity. He's going to talk about this idea of what happens when you die. Uh, what happens in the uh, next life. And, and, and these, these two things that you have the gospel and this gospel is good forever. He's going to put these things in place so that 
They would deal with the immorality of the day. That they would get busy working for him. That they would be encouraged in a discouraging world. I want to tell you, he's giving them fuel. He's giving them fuel. And if you feel like you're running on empty, I want to tell you, come, come. This is what we're going to be doing. Uh, this is what we're going to be doing at the church at Bear Valley, okay? Uh, not that Paul's writing to us, but you can picture that. Let's pray and just ask God's blessing on our study. God, thank you for this great day. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the grace of the gospel. God, I ask that you would thrill us with the good news of what Jesus has done for us, that we would be changed by it, that we would not just have a little taste, but that it would be our fuel, our food, uh, and not just food to enjoy, but food to be changed by. God, thank you for this time. We ask your blessing on your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.